Happy Sabbath, everyone. And I just want to say, isn't that song like the most beautiful song you've ever heard? I, that's, my, that's my favorite. Every time I hear it, I just feel like bursting into tears. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, thank you everyone for coming today. Today is a very special day. It's God's Holy Sabbath Day. And I just want to share, you know, I really love studying the Bible. And today I prepared a message for you. It's um, actually taken from Daniel chapter 11 and Revelation chapter 11. Um, so just bear with me because I do get a bit nervous, but let's begin our journey. Okay, we'll just have a word of prayer before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the giver of the most perfect gifts. Lord, and you've given us the gift of time in your Sabbath, a time where we can come apart from the world, and that we can draw close to you through your word, through your promises, that we can know, Lord, that we have a hope and a future and trusting in you, and that you have a better plan for us than what this world has to offer. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit may be present with us here today, and that you may use me as a vessel in your service. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So... The lifestyle of the rich and famous, the wealth, the opulence, the mystique, intrigue, and grandeur. What is it that allures us and tries to captivate our attention? This morning, we will take a virtual tour of the Palace of Versailles. On our journey this morning, we'll stop and ponder the history of this most famous landmark, and we will contemplate the words of the Apostle Paul to the Church of Rome. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling immortal beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and, ser and served the creature more than the creator. And this is taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So please keep this text from Romans in your mind as we continue on our journey today. So the Palace of Versailles is one of the greatest achievements in the 17th century French art as it is listed as a world heritage site. In fact, it is estimated that the palace, including its contents, is valued at approximately $50.7 billion today. You see, Versailles was more than just a palace. Louis XIV, who was also known as Louis the Great, and as you can see here from the slides, Louis XIV made quite a statement. When he entered a room, not only was he the king, but he loved fashion. And anyone who came to Versailles had to adhere to a strict, stylish dress code. So people who came to the palace had to hire the correct attire to ensure that they did not aesthetically smudge the sophisticated culture of the French couture with rich colored textiles, exquisite lace, 
silk and jewels. Oh, and speaking of jewels, this is King Louis the 14th, 45.5 blue uh, blue diamond, uh, 45.5 carat blue diamond. So blue diamonds are extremely rare, particularly one of this size and magnitude. It is now on display in the Smithsonian Institute and would you believe it's valued at 200 to 350 million dollars? So this is only one of the many diamonds he would adorn. The exorbitant amount of wealth and display was simply unfathomable. Versailles was no doubt Vanity Fair as coined by John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress. Versailles had almost, almost humble beginnings. The chateau, which we see here, was originally built by King Louis VIII in 1631. And under the reign of Louis XIV, the chateau was expanded upon in phases from 1678 through to 1715. In 1682, Louis and all his courtiers and clergy moved from Paris to Versailles and formed a centralized government which housed approximately 10,000 people, including servants. Now, having said that, 20,000 people could go there quite comfortably and stay, which is just amazing. So from this photo, we can see um, the original chateau. Can you see it right there in the middle? In the center of the palace. Now, this was the king's private chamber. And notice it's located in the middle of the palace. This demonstrated to everyone that life revolved around Louis. <laughs> Louis XIV was married to his, fir his first cousin because that is what nobility did to protect their wealth. They had six children, but unfortunately, um, only one survived past the age of five. But he also fathered more than a dozen illegitimate children with a number of mistresses. Adultery was not uncommon. It wasn't an uncommon behavior amongst nobility, nor among the people of France. Lascivious lifestyles were very common. And although Louis did not invent the divine right of kings, he adhered to the view that monarchs were derived from God. So their authority came from God and were therefore they were entitled to wield absolute power over everybody. He made a particular point of associating himself with the pagan Greek and Roman sun god Apollo and he adopted the sun emblem and this is the clock which resides right over the top of, of the, the original chateau and as you can see it has the sun right in the middle of it, and Louis XIV was known as the Sun King. He also believed he had miracles, and he could do miracles, and um, he could actually heal people. Now, this is the gate and entrance to Versailles. It's called the Gate of Honor, and it marks the entrance to the palace. So you can see again, there's a little sun god, and above is the, the royal crown. So this gate was actually restored in 2008, more than 200 years after it was torn down during the French Revolution. And yes, the iron gate is overlaid with real gold leaf. And I'm sure many of you have heard about this. 
This is the famous Hall of Mirrors. And anything in the palace that resembled silver or gold is probably genuine silver or gold. So no expense was spared in the construction of this grand space. And everything from the teaspoons to the window latches were made of fine French silver. And if you look closely, see in the middle there, you will see Hercules. Now Hercules, according to Greek paganism, possessed powers of an Olympian god, such as superhuman strength and durability, speed, stamina, and endurance. Versailles also had a royal chapel. Every day the court attended the king's mass, which was usually had, held at 10 o'clock in the morning. And here's just a little peek inside. You can see how grandiose everything is. And here is the vaulted ceiling. Um, it was built without you know, the structured ribs over the top to create an un, a unified surface, and it was dedicated to the Holy Trinity. So in the center is um, a painting of God the Father in his glory, and in the apse on the right is a resurrection, and above the royal tribune, so to the left, is the descent of the Holy Ghost. So you can't really see the pictures that closely, but it's actually fine, fine art. Very, very expensive. Now, here is the altar where they worshipped, which I'm sure you find very interesting. And Versailles also had a theater, and grand entertainment was the height of magnificence, making Versailles a venue for monumental, extraordinary, and fantastical parties and shows. These included all forms of comedies, operas, concerts, fireworks, light displays, as well as private performers in which the lords and the ladies of the court went on stage themselves. And oftentimes Louis XIV would be no one else but Apollo, the sun god. <laughs> when the entertainment occurred, a large amount of gambling, which would lead to fortune or ruin, as well as physical activities in which the members of the court had to shine, including hunting, dancing in balls, mass balls, and even playing tennis. So the Garden of Versailles had 400 or has 400 sculptures and 1,400 fountains, all of them depicting pagan gods or Louis himself. Now this is ne the Neptune fountain, and as we know, Neptune was the god of water and the sea. And here's another very interesting fountain. Um, I don't know if you can make it out, but they're human bodies with heads of frogs. And this is called the Latona fountain. Have you ever seen or heard of this one before? Latona in Greek mythology cursed the peasants and turned them into frogs and condemned them to the inhabit the murky waters. This fountain represents the monument, the curse, the moment the curse began to metamorphomize the servants or the peasants. And this is Apollo's fountain. Apollo was the god of practically everything, including music, poetry, art, prophecy, truth, archery, plagues, healing, sun, and light. And Apollo was always associated with the sun. 
So inside the opulent palace of Versailles, Louis XIV died of gangrene on September 1st, 1715, just four days short of his 77th birthday. And during his reign, during his reign, France became the dominant power in Europe and a leader in the arts and in the sciences. However, the cost of Versailles and the succession of lost wars launched by the king ultimately took their toll on France and resulted in huge debt, famine, and poverty. The people of France grew so disgruntled that they jeered at the deceased Louis during his funeral procession. So we're now going to move ahead forward in time. We're going to bypass Louis XV, and we're going to go straight to the reign of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette in 1775. Now, France is now under enormous financial strain, and the treasury is on the brink of bankruptcy. And Louis XVI's financial advisors persuaded him to increase consumer confidence by acting as if there was no shortage of money by spending more money. Does this sound familiar to what we are hearing today? A little bit, doesn't it? And do you think that this solved the problem? No. So as a last result, Louis XVI is forced to summon the Estates General to address France's financial crisis. And this assembly is composed of three estates. So on the top, you have the clergy, and then you have the nobility, because it is a union of church and state. And then the third estate, which is the largest, and as you can see, it's compromised of 98% of the po population, is the commoners. Now, this is the irony of the whole thing. Even though they were the largest, they could only cast one vote. So they would always get outnumbered by the nobility and the clergy. So this, on this particular meeting, though, the assembly, assembly would have to decide on the levying of new taxes and reforms so that they would be able to, in a sense, save their country because it was on the brink of bankruptcy. So the third estate had had enough of the injustices such as high taxes, conscription, corruption, and religious intolerance to the Protestants, and hunger and poverty. And it was the accumulation of these factors which led to the beginning of the French Revolution. So we see here, uh, can you guys see that? Is that? Oh good, you can. So what we just spoke about was in May, they had the Estates General Meeting. On the 17th of June, the king calls in troops and surrounds Paris because he got nervous to their reaction. And then on the 14th of July, the third estate storms the Bastille. Have you heard of the Bastille? Anybody's, yep. So you know it's a, a big fortress. And on the 14th of July, as I mentioned, 1789, a mob from Paris stormed the Bastille in search of large amounts of ammunition and to free prisoners who were not common criminals but political prisoners of the king. Prisoners also included Protestants and heretics. It's interesting to note that 100 years prior to this event, back in 1685, Louis the XIV revoked the Edict of Nates, which granted rights to the French Protestants. 
And because he, he um, reneged on it, so basically he didn't, wasn't going to protect the Protestants anymore, and they cracked down on the pro Protestants and imprisoned them in the fortress here at Bastille. And they were locked up, they were interrogated to break up the Protestant networks by imprisoning the people who would not compromise their faith. So this was a majority of upper-class Calvinists. So they were the ones who joined in the, the, the Reformation. It is reported that approximately 254 Protestants were imprisoned in the Bastille during Louis XIV's reign. Which brings us to another date. This date is the 21st of January, 1793, when Louis XVI was tried and executed by the people, by the Third Estate. And on this same day, 250 years earlier, King Francis I of France made a public procession through the streets of Paris denouncing Protestantism and vowing a commitment to its destruction. Without getting into the details of the event, on the 21st of January, 1535, France erected scaffolds and burnt Protestant Christians alive in front of the Cathedral of Notre Dame for their condemnation of the Mass. So because they spoke out against the, the Mass, they were burned at the stake in front of the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And not just one, but many. And the, and the people of Paris, they crowded the streets to watch. They lit candles in honor of the Holy Sacrament, and they waited for the king and the bishop of Paris to make their procession through the streets of Paris to watch the unwavering martyrs be burned to death. France willfully snuffed out the gospel of peace, and the results, as we witnessed, were just terrible. It is therefore no surprise that on this same day, 250 years after France fully committed to the persecution of the reformers, another procession passed through the streets of Paris. This time, the king of Paris was executed with 2,800 others by the guillotine, which brought on the reign of terror and atheism. So when France rejected God's word in the movement of the Protestant Reformation, she, being France, sowed the seeds of anarchy and ruin. And the inevitable working and the inevitable outworking of cause and effect resulted in the reign of terror. And we can see very similar parallels between the lead up to the French Revolution and the reign of terror and what is happening in our world today. So do you think that this is a mere coincidence? I think the French Reformation is a very important lesson to remind us that we do not get caught up in the tyranny ourselves. In the book Education, Ellen White pens these words. She says, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine, but human. The centralizing of wealth and power the vast combination of the few at the expense of the many, the combination of the poor classes for the defense of their own interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, 
The worldwide dissemination of the same teaching that led to the French Revolution all are, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember that the papal church in France misrepresented the character of God and perverted his requirements, which led to the people of France rejecting the Bible and its author. The papal church required a blind faith in her dogmas and under the guise of sanctioning of the scriptures. The papal church and the nobility wore down and crushed the people under her resulting in the masses rejecting not only falsehood, but truth as it was contained in God's open word. And instead they made a license for reckless liberty and became the slaves of vice themselves. The devil is so cunning, isn't he? But God's word opens us, warns us in Galatians 6, 7 to 10, it says, do not be deceived, for God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's important for us to remember, at the opening of the revolution, Louis XVI, he met with the Estates General, and he granted the commoners a, great, a greater representation than that of the nobles and clergy combined. So he really was going to work with them. Thus, the balance of power was put into their hands, but they did not use it with wisdom, and instead, they determined to redress the wrongs that they had suffered and to reconstruct society. In their outrage and long treasured memories of bitterness and wrongs, they sought out vengeance. And unfortunately, those who were oppressed under tyranny became the oppressors of those who oppressed them. And when the roles were reversed, they were no better than their counterparts. The vengeful mindset is a clear indication that the human heart is desperately wicked, and sometimes we don't even realize it at ourselves. So it's not so much a social revolution that is needed in society, but a heart and soul re revolution, which can only be achieved by the might and by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There will never be an ideal, ideal form of government because of the state of the unconverted heart. Ideologies, ideologies can never solve this world's problems. True transformation of heart by the Holy Spirit is what is needed. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He also said that the kingdom of God is within, in Luke 17, verses 20 to 21. So the kingdom would not be inaugurated with spectacle or 
splendor. Rather, the kingdom comes silently and unseen and will begin to transform the heart. We need to accept Jesus into our heart, and in doing so, this will desire, our whole hearts will desire a better place. We'll be transformed by love, by giving instead of taking. So, friends, today, desire a place where righteousness dwells, a place the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And a place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Search for the kingdom, search for his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. For God's word tells us, God's word tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the point of this, um, just looking at the French Revolution today, is do you see parallels in what was happening then at that time? And if you'd like to, you can you know, go ahead and tell me what you notice, that we, what, what's happening to us today. I see entertainment for one. That was huge before the French Revolution. You know, a lot of people are just caught up like we are today. You know, binge-watching TV, going here, going there. I know COVID has changed a lot of things. But it's times like these, you know, where we need to just stop. And we need to ground ourselves in God's word. We need to have a look at the past so that we can see where we're going. You know, time is very short. Do you agree with me? And so it's important that we get our priorities straight. Because I want to see you guys in the kingdom. You're all my friends. <laughs> so again, remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So thank you. We'll just bow with the word of prayer, and then we'll have a last song. Thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you that you are in control. Lord, the, the world around us can be a very frightening place. But then at the same time, Lord, we see glimpses of, of your love for us in creation. And we also see it in the lives of our loved ones, in our families, in our friends. And Lord, we come to you this morning and we just give all of our burdens and our concerns to you. And we ask, Lord, that you may help us that we may grow up in you, Lord, that we may trust completely in you, and that we may surrender ourselves to you, Lord, that your spirit may come into us, dwell in us, Lord, and help us to have the courage as the reformers of old, Lord, to sow the seeds of the gospel of good news. Because, Lord, there's people out there that are, are frightened, they're worried, they're depressed, they have no hope. And Lord, we thank you. You've preserved your word for us because we do have a hope and a future and you have a plan for each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.